So we've been in the book of Joshua, and our series has been, has been entitled Stepping Into Your New Day. And this morning we're in Joshua chapter 17, and I want to read for us verses 14 through 18. Joshua 17, verses 14 through 18. The Bible says, Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, although I am a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me? And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest, and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of, Eph of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The people of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us. And yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron, both those in Beth Shean and, and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron and though they are strong. May God bless his word to us this morning. And so our message is entitled today, Living in Your New Day with a Thankful Heart. Living in Your New Day with a Thankful Heart. I said to Pastor Gee before the service, I said, you know, like, like, um, I kind of map out the sermon series, as, as you know, as I'm working on what we're going to preach, and then things get changed in the schedule, and so I didn't really plan that this was going to be our portion of scripture for today, but God planned it for us, I believe, right? And so he brings us to Joshua 17 here this morning. And as we've been looking into the book of Joshua, we've been talking about stepping into our new day. We've seen that it's never been God's intent for us to just to live our lives just wandering in the desert of the world, living our lives just walking around in circles. But rather, God has for each of us a land that is a place of purpose, of fruitfulness, of blessing. He wants us to know, as we've been saying, he wants us to know the abundant life, the spirit-filled life, what it means to live out the good works that he's planned for us ahead of time and he's promised to lead us into a new day wherein we might be able to say yes old things have passed away and all things have become new I trust that's your testimony this morning but here's a problem that we all face as time goes by we begin to take our new day we might say for granted that is in spite of of the incredible work of God to lead us into the land he has for us. In spite of all the incredible things God does in our lives, we tend to lose our sense of gratitude for what he's done. We get so used to living in the land that rather than live with thankful hearts, rather than live in our new day with, 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 in, in such a way that our hearts just spill over with gratitude and worship, we take it all for granted to the point that we even begin to complain about what we don't have, why things aren't the way we thought they'd be, why we, we don't have more, what's wrong with this, what's wrong with that, what's wrong with him, what's wrong with her, and on and on it goes. As the old saying says, the grass is always greener on what? The other side. That is, most people are never satisfied with what they already have. They seem to always want the other thing, what someone else has, the life that someone else is living. We all have a tendency to live our lives complaining rather than living our lives with gratitude. 
You know, in Yiddish, there's a really good word for complainers. Kvetch. Kvetch. Can you say that? Kvetch. You got to put the K and the V just about together. Kvetch. You know, when I was in college, I worked all four years in, in, a, in a delicatessen inside of a Wallbaums grocery store. Anybody know Wallbaums? Right, Wallbaums, they come from like the city in Long Island. Um, and, 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 and our deli was, um, it was non-kosher, but it was also kosher, like we had to keep certain things separate. No one who was really orthodox came to our deli, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, they're learning, working in a deli, and you can be in the restaurant business or wherever it is, you find that people just love to complain, don't they? And so, you know what? I, I, I wrote a little song about the kvetches, about the kvetches, right? Just see, see if you don't see yourself in this song. I'm, I'm going to speak it more than sing it, okay? Is that all right? Right? But it starts with just like, kvetch, 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 right? I want it like this. I want it like that. I want it. I want it my way. I don't want it thick. I don't want it thin. I want it. I want it my way. I don't want it over. I don't want it under. I want it the way that I say. And if I don't like it, I'll bring it right back because I want it. I want it my way. I want locks from the bottom and not from the top. I want it. I want it my way. Your shrimp and your tuna, your whitefish and chubs, I hope that they're fresh from today. Your bagels look hard and your pickles look soft. And why is your herring so gray? I know it is good because I say what is good, and it's good when I get it my way. Kvetch, 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 kvetch. I have a small problem with my chopped liver. I thought it was fresh yesterday. So I took it right out. I opened it up, but the smell really gave it away. So I put back the lid, made sure it was tight, and then I just threw it away. And now I am here because my money I want from the liver I bought here last May. Kvetch, 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 kvetch. Well, I don't think I'm going to be on like any top 100 charts. But maybe you saw yourself in that little song. You know, the Israelites, we see in the Bible, they tended to be a nation of complainers. Shortly after their miraculous escape from Egypt, after all that God had done for them, they began to complain. Every time they hit some sort of snare or some sort of difficulty, they immediately began to grumble, kvetch, and complain. The water's too bitter. God sweetens the water. We need more food. God sends manna. We need more water. God makes water come from a rock. We're tired of manna. God sends quail, and on and on it went. Well, in this part of the story that we just read, the Israelites have finally entered the land. And if you read Joshua's 15 through 19, you, you read there about the division of the land as it was distributed to the 12 tribes. The people, you see, are finally getting their portion of the land. That is, the promises of God are finally being fulfilled. This ought to have been a time of great celebration and thanksgiving for them all. But like a child who didn't get what he wanted for Christmas, the tribes of Joseph, actually two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, upon receiving their piece of the land, immediately began to complain. They immediately began to ask for more. They immediately say, this is not enough. We want more. You see, rather than being grateful for what they've been given and thankful for what God had done for them, they began to grumble, fetch, and complain. It's almost unbelievable, but we all know that's our human nature at work. The complaints of the people were basically two. First of all, hey, the land you've given to us is not big enough for us. 
And Joshua, there's still enemies in the land. In other words, we haven't been given what we want. We want more. We want it easier. We don't like what God has given us. Really? I want you to notice three things about their complaints. First of all, their complaint was unjustified. In reality, see, here's the thing. If you, if you look a little closer, you find that in reality, the tribes of Joseph had been given one of the largest and most fertile pieces of the land. They hadn't been relegated to a desert area or to a little corner of the land or stuck somewhere on a dry mountain. They'd been given prime real estate within the promised land. Their complaint about the land was totally unjustified. Secondly, their complaint was birthed out of arrogance. Notice what they say. We're a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. In other words, we deserve better. We deserve more. In other words, we deserve, we deserve, we deserve. They had this sense of entitlement. It seemed that no matter what they would have gotten, it would have never been enough. And thirdly, their complaint revealed a lack of faith. For they, like the rest of Israel, they had seen how God had worked miracle after miracle on their behalf in order to bring them into this promised land. They were there when God rolled back the waters of the Jordan. They were there when, when God tore down Jericho's walls. They were there when God brought the sun to a standstill and gave them victory over the alliance of Canaanite kings. Now, however, they were complaining that there were still some Canaanites left in the, in the land. Didn't they think that God could help them now as he had helped them in the past? Didn't they believe God to give them victory and help them take possession of that which he had promised to them? Where was their faith? Where was their faith? Listen, of course, we're all guilty, are we not, of taking on the very same kind of attitudes. That rather than being grateful for all God has done in our lives, we begin to grumble, fetch, and complain. We all too easily become like that child on Christmas morning who complains, gets angry, and so forth, that they didn't get what they wanted. It's not the right one. It's not the right color. It's not the right brand, and so forth. And the parents are tearing their head, hair out. Well, that never happened in my house. It didn't happen in your house. That was someone else's house, right? And just like the tribes of Joseph, most of our complaints are often completely unjustified, birthed out of arrogance, and reveal a great lack of faith. Well, if only things were the way they used to be, or if, if only things were like at that church down the road, or if only I had a new job, if, if only I was married, where did this, you know, or how come I didn't get that spouse or this spouse, or if only I had kids, or if only I had different kids, if only I had more money, if only my life was like this or that. My life is never going to get better, and it's my parents' fault, it's my wife's fault, it's society's fault, and on and on it goes. I think of the woman who years ago, when I was youth pastor up in, up in North Jersey, she would come to the pastors, constantly coming to our office and saying, pray for my husband, he's an alcoholic, pray for him, he needs to get saved. Well, guess what? After a period of time, her husband got saved and came off of the alcohol and started attending AA meetings. Next thing you know, she's showing up in our offices and she's complaining my husband's not in church on Sunday nights. He didn't go to Bible study on Wednesday night. He's not doing all the things that I told him he needs to do and this and that. And the complaints went on and on. And finally I said to her, I said, aren't you just thankful that he's not with the bottle? 
and he's given his life to Jesus? See, our complaints are most often unjustified, birthed out of arrogance, a sign of faltering faith. After all, listen, we've already been so blessed by God, have we not? If you have Jesus in your life, he's brought you into a new day, into the land he has for you. He's done an incredible work in your life where old things have begun to pass away, all things becoming new. Can you see it, church? Can you see it? We, and we have to ask ourselves, do we really deserve any more from God? I mean, how much more do we deserve than the person sitting next to us? How much more do we deserve than that person living in poverty in maybe Ethiopia or Nicaragua or wherever it may be? Do we deserve to have life go our way? Do we deserve to have the church run our way? Do we deserve to make m more money than we already have, to have a better house than we already have, to be made the leader and so forth? You know, one of my favorite parts of the Passover Seder is, is, is the Dayenu. We're together, you know, we say Dayenu, which means it would have been enough or it would have been sufficient that God, if you, if, if, if you had only taken us out of Egypt but hadn't given us manna or quail, it would have been enough. God, if you, if, if you had just given us the manna and the quail but hadn't given us water, it would have been enough. And it goes on and on and on, just highlighting the work of God, how God keeps on, keeps on pouring out blessing after blessing after blessing. But at each moment, at each part, we say together, Dayenu, God. God, it would have been enough. Why? Because we know we don't deserve any of it. The tribe of Joseph became a tribe of complainers, for rather than entering their promised land and living in their new day with thankful hearts, they could only see what they didn't have, the more that they wanted, what they thought they deserved. They should have been saying, Dayenu, and thank you. So, but then we come to Joshua's response. And it seems to me that Joshua was a leader who had little tolerance for complainers. He was not going to coddle and cuddle a group of whiners or kvetchers, kvetches. He wasn't going to placate a group of people who refused to appreciate what they had been given who were, and who refused to take responsibility for their own life. So notice jo Joshua's response to the, to the tribes. He says, listen, clear the land for yourselves. He tells the people, you've already been given a, 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 a good piece of land. Now it's up to you to clear it, to make it livable, to make it workable. It's up to you to get to work and to fulfill the responsibility you've been given to take hold of the opportunity that's before you. Clear the land yourselves. And then he says about those enemies and those enemies, you can drive them out. You see, these people, the tribe of Joseph, they were looking for others to come along and drive out the enemy from the land that had been given to them. They didn't want to do it themselves. Maybe they didn't think they could do it for themselves. But Joshua says, listen, that's your responsibility to get rid of the enemies in your land. In other words, we could boil down his words to these thoughts. One, don't shift your God-given responsibility onto someone else. You hear that? If God has given you a place of responsibility, it's yours to carry out. If God has put before you an opportunity, it's yours to take hold of. It's not for others to, 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 to pull you along. It's not for you to pass it on to someone else. I remember hearing one pastor describe how people would get a burden for ministry. People in his church, I have a burden for ministry. They'd say, Pastor, someone needs to do something about, and you can fill in the blank. And then it was up to the pastor to create a ministry, to find workers, and then maintain the ministry. And soon, he said, he was carrying the load of everyone else's burdens. 
Now he says, if God's placed it on your heart, well, he must want you to take responsibility for it. Make sure it happens. Or as Joshua said, go clear the land yourself. I think it's a good lesson for us, is it not? Don't shift your, God, your God-given responsibility onto someone else. Secondly, he was reminding the people that if you're going to receive your full inheritance, it's going to re- require diligent labor. Again, the tribes of Joseph, they've been given this piece of real estate, but now they were going to have to work the land. They were going to have to deal with the enemies in the land. It wasn't like they could just like wave a magic wand over it or say, God, make the enemies disappear, bam, and God, bring forth corn and wheat and so forth, and it all just happens. They were going to have to work. But here's the thing. Too many people want the blessings of God handed to them on a silver platter. They act like the people around them and even God owe them something. They want God to bless them, but they rarely pray and seek his face. They want to experience a full harvest and a fruitful harvest, but they refuse to put aside time or expend the energy that it would take to bring forth that fruit. We need to recognize that with the inheritance of this promised land comes much responsibility to labor. To experience a life of fruitfulness will require that we take the time to clear the land, to engage in the battle, to plant the seed, to water, to harvest, whatever is necessary at that time. At that time. But I think that Joshua was also saying something else. He was saying, and the place to begin is to begin by using what you already have. See, the tribes wanted more. But they hadn't yet maxed out what they had been given. There was still much land that was unused. And this Joshua called them to first put to use what they had before asking for more. Listen, if you and I want God to increase our territory, greater opportunities, greater blessings, we must first take hold of what God has already put in our hands. We can't say, oh, God, we want a bigger church when we haven't, like, done our part to do what needs to be done now. We can't say, God, I want more blessings on on my job or in my family when we haven't done our part when we ought to and do what we ought to have done. Don't whine and complain about what you don't have, what you think it should be like, and so forth, but rather begin to faithfully put to work what you have and allow God to bring the increase. Allow God to bring the increase. I love the way, you know, Jesus gives us a principle. He says, listen, at the end of one of his parables, he said, you've been faithful with few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. How many times we need to hear that? Listen. You want God to give you greater ministry. You want God to give you greater opportunities, greater land. First, be faithful in the little things, in the little things. I always say, you know, people, I don't know, people think that, oh, he's the the senior pastor. That makes me feel so old, senior pastor, you know, right? Right, and like, 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 like I was like 20 years old and I just stepped into being the senior pastor. You know where ministry began for me? At like 16 years old in a junior high excuse me, a junior boy's classroom, working alongside of a teacher, and then the teacher would say to me, the summer, I'm taking a break, you're in charge, and having to show up at 16 years old every week in that classroom. That's where ministry began for me. That's where it usually begins for you too, right? In the little things God has for us, taking hold of the small things that God puts in our lives and using those things to the max. And finally, I think that Joshua was, was teaching them and teaching us that there are some battles that are yours to fight. 
There are some battles that are yours to fight. See, every tribe was being given a piece of land, and each one became responsible for not only clearing the land, but as well getting rid of the enemies who still resided in that part of the land. And listen, there would be times when they would help each other, but the principle that Joshua was applying to the tribes of Joseph was that there were some battles that were specifically their battles. And the fact is, there will be certain battles in your life that no one but you can fight. Do you know that? Some battles that no one but you can fight. Others might be able to come alongside of you now and then to encourage you, to strengthen you, to help you. But ultimately, it's your battles, not theirs. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the battle for your family and for your children. They are your responsibility, parents. Not the churches, not the schools. They are, first of all, your responsibility. And yet we become too busy to even just get them to church, to even sit down at the end of the day and pray with them and talk to them about the things of the Lord, to pray for them on a faithful basis, or maybe that spouse or other family members. Listen, we can partner with you. We can come alongside of you. But the battle for your family and for your children, it's your battle. And no one can fight that battle for you. The battle for that workplace that you're in or that school that you attend. You can't ask someone else to come in. Come and win, win my workplace to the Lord. Come and be a blessing to the classroom that I'm in. No, that's your battle. It's your battle to pray and to do the good works that you need to do. The battle for your spouse's or friend's salvation. Listen, others can pray and intercede with you, but ultimately you're the one who needs to be diligent in prayer and in lifestyle. The battle for your own soul. You hear that? The battle for your own soul. Others can pray for you and help you along the way, but there's a battle for your life and for your soul that you're going to have to fight. For only you can fight against the temptations that come your way. Listen, you can say to the pastor, you can say to those around you, pray for me, it's so hard, I don't know if I can beat this one, and, and so forth. Or you can make it even sound like you're doing great, but you know what's happening in that secret place. Only you can decide whether or not you're going to live for God. No one can decide that for you. No one wakes up for you in the morning and says, today I'm going to, Live for God. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to seek God. The battle for your soul. It's your battle. Again, there are certain battles that come into each one of our lives that become our battles to fight, not someone else's. But here's the good news. Remember that as you step out and allow yourself to be engaged in whatever that battle is, here's where our faith comes in. You have a God who's promised to be with you. Amen? You've, you have a God who promised he would never leave you. He'll never forsake you. We come against the enemies who stand against us, not in our own power, not in our own might, but in the name of the Lord our God. For as the Lord reminds us, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. And Joshua said, for you shall drive out the Canaanites. Why? Because God was with his people. Oh, Joshua was saying to his people, to the people of Joseph, listen, don't just sit around complaining about what you don't have or the work before you or the battle to be fought, whining about how difficult the task is going to be, fetching about it all, right? But step out in faith with God. 
Start clearing the land. Go out and pursue the enemy who will keep you from, who would keep you from inheriting the land that God has promised you. And listen, some of us here today may need to hear those same words spoken to us. It might be time for us to stop sitting around complaining about all the obstacles that stand in our way, to stop whining about the enemies who would hinder us in our work for God, to stop complaining about the way we want it or what should be or what, what isn't happening or what we don't have or how hard it is and so forth. But now's the time, church, for us to rise up in faith, to begin to pray, to begin to live for God, to work for his kingdom, to engage ourselves in the battle that God has put before us like never before, believing that God is more than able to give us the success that we need. And listen, as we do, we will find ourselves living our lives in the promised land as God would have us to, living an abundant life, living a spirit-filled life, filled with good works. And we will find ourselves living in that new day with hearts filled with worship and praise and gratitude to the one who has is, who is brought us out of our wandering in the desert and into the new life he's given to us, living our new day with thankful hearts so that when we come to church, Pastor Gee doesn't have to say, Lift your voices, lift your hands, but we're, we've already jumped the gun on him. Why? Because our hearts are filled with so much gratitude for what God has done. Come on, can somebody say amen this morning? Come on. Listen, I've learned that there are two kinds of people living in the promised land. The grumblers, quetches, and complainers, and those who have thankful hearts. And the difference between the two is evident to all those around them. It's easy to sit around whining, fetching, and complaining about all we don't have, the way we want it to be, the way it used to be, and no one appreciates us, no one helps us, and we don't have enough, and so forth, complaining about how hard life is. And I've got my list of complaints just like you do. But as God's people, we are meant to enter the land and live in the land with thankful hearts. There's one man in our congregation that I believe exemplifies what it means when life is getting hard, when the promised land is looking kind of tough. There's one man who, well, to me, exemplifies what it means to have a thankful heart in the midst of all things. We're going to bring him to you via video right now. Hey, Brother Buddy, it's so good to be here with you today and visiting with you. And I just want you to tell us what you're grateful for when it comes to your walk with the Lord. Well, so I'm grateful. You know what I'm grateful for? A peace that I never had. When I gave my life to the Lord, such a peace fell over my soul. And I enjoy it every day of my life. And that's the truth. Wow, that's great. And what about your family? And Oh, and my, my, my wife... She's the best. She, 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 she loves me, too. That's what I like about her, you know. She loves me. Yeah, she tells me she loves me anyhow, you know. But I hope she does. I think she does. Yeah, oh, sure, yeah, absolutely. That's great. <laughs> you can't say anything without making a joke. <laughs> yeah, we hear you, Ruth, there. <laughs> and um, just, just, just one more thing, uh, Brother Buddy. Just, um, I don't know, again, just, just just tell us, like, how is it that you have such joy in your heart? Oh, because Jesus lives here. When Jesus lives in your heart, you can't help but have joy and peace, satisfaction, 
It's everything. And it's worth it. You know what I mean? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Just a little spontaneous video we did in our visit on Friday. But I know from the time I've been here, six years now, Buddy would sit in that chair. It didn't matter if it was the songs he liked or didn't like. He lifted his hands and he worshiped God. Amen. You talked to him, there was always a sense of gratitude and joy flowing from his heart. Because he never, he never took for granted what God has done for him. You know, Colossians 2.6, I close with just a couple of scriptures for us this morning. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthening your faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12.28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. First Assembly of God, those of you here in the sanctuary, those online with us today, let's not be a tribe of complainers, kvetches, grumblers, but instead of people who live in our new day with thankful hearts. Amen? That is with a deep and continual sense of gratitude to the God who has saved us, who keeps us, who's promised to be with us, who's promised in us an eternity that's far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. Thankful that it's in him we can say even today, old things have passed away and all things have become new. Amen? old things that have passed. God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful. Come on, church. Just stand with me. I know we did it earlier, but let's do it again. Lift your hands. Lift your voices. Just say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all you've done in my life. Thank you for rescuing me when I was caught in that trap of sin. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you, thank you for making my life new. Thank you for always being with me. Thank you for healing me when I was sick. Thank you for providing for me when I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. Thank you for taking care of my kids when I sent them off to college. Thank you, God, for meeting every need that I have. And I say today, God, if that's all you've done, I would say, Dianu, Dianu, it's, it would have been enough. But God, you continue to do so much more, more and more and more each and every day of my life. For you continue to pour out blessings on me. So God, we ask you to help us. God, we ask you first to forgive us for our our ungratefulness. We ask you to forgive us for the times we have we have complained, unjustifiably complained when we've been arrogant, when we when we lost faith, God. God, God, forgive us, oh God. Forgive us. And I pray, God, that you would help us. Help us as we go through this Thanksgiving season, but more than that, as we go through our lives living as your people. God, that we would live our lives with hearts just overflowing with gratitude. God, I pray that it would be such that we wake up in the morning and that our hearts would be overflowing with praise and worship and gratitude for who you are and all you've done for us. God, I pray that, that you would 
Oh, just help us as we seek to do our part, clearing the land, fighting the battles we need to fight, but always sensing that you're there by our side to help us, God, that we, that yes, it may be our responsibility. There's some battles that we may have to fight, but God, you are there, and we believe that it's not by might, it's not by our power, but it's by your spirit, as you say, oh God. And so we thank you today. We thank you for giving your son Jesus. We thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you for for saving us, renewing us, redeeming us for all that you've done for us. Oh, we say thank you, Lord. We say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for grace and mercies that are new every every morning. We thank you for loving kindness. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we bless you, God. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, we're going to sing it together. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. 